0: It's a loom group's Andrea Lay, PacView's Melissa Burdick, special guest Jackie Donowski from Flywheel, and I'm PVSB, also from Flywheel. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 13th, and it's time for the Fresh Four Four curated news stories from the past week. We find them polyhistorically intriguing. We hope you do too. They're brought to you through our partnership with RetailWit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence and news. RetailWit.com, it's retail right now. Jackie, kick us off, would you?
1: Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect to bring closed loop attribution to streaming advertisers. Well, hello there, Fresh Boy listeners.
2: Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect have solidified an agreement to bring the retailer's industry-leading audience solutions and measurement to Disney's addressable streaming inventory. The collaboration will enable enhanced audience targeting and outcome-based measurements for brand campaigns across Disney's streaming portfolio,
1: including Hulu and Disney+, connecting Walmart's customer insights with Disney's proprietary audience graph. Will help advertisers reach their
2: desired audiences and measure the impact of their campaigns through closed-loop attribution.
0: Thanks, Jackie. Andrea, over to you. Hello, Fresh for
3: listeners. NBC Universal and Instacart link up to bring retail media opportunities to TV. NBC Universal and Instacart are expanding their existing partnership to include a new retail media workstream that will enable Instacart's CPG advertisers to connect with consumers. Via NBC Universal's streaming and linear television content. In late 2023, the companies teamed up to include access to NBC Universal's streaming platform Peacock as part of the Instacart Plus membership package. Now, with this new first party data collaboration, advertisers will be able to reach consumers through NBC Universal's content and measure the impact of their campaigns by leveraging ad exposure and purchase data from Instacart.
0: Thank you, Andrea. Melissa, what do you have for us?
3: Amazon has announced a new country that they're opening up. Amazon has announced it will launch a new dedicated website for Ireland in 2025. Currently, most Irish customers use Amazon sites based in the UK or other European countries. The company said the Irish site will mean that users will be able to avoid additional customs charges and currency conversion fees, and it will also lead to faster delivery and returns for many items. All right, over to you, Peter.
0: Before we start today's episode, we want to chat with our fresh four co-host, Melissa Burdick. Hey, Melissa! You've got some big news. What's the scoop?
3: Well, you may or may not have seen our announcement, but PackView has joined Assembly, and we're now part of the Assembly family of brands.
0: That's awesome! Can you tell our audience about Assembly?
3: Yeah, I'd love to. So, Assembly is a software platform for e-commerce, helping brands and sellers scale their business on every major channel worldwide. And their vision really perfectly lines up with what we're building at PacView to become the total software platform for e commerce, whether you're a new seller, just starting out, or a mature enterprise brand. And I'm, I'm really excited to introduce Sandeep Kella, who's the CEO and co founder of Assembly. Because when I first met him, I knew right away that it was a great fit. Right, Sandeep?
4: Thanks, we'll Say Yeah, 100%. And uh, couldn't agree more. You know, we're at Assembly, we're not just building another tool we're building a community uh, of e-commerce brands and we're supporting them with software, but also with content training and education. And we're bringing together retail analytics from every step of the e-commerce journey. And we're combining that with software to help merchants scale. And uh, you know, to date, we've served over a million customers across 125 countries, across dozens of marketplaces. And when we met Packview, it was just very clear, they are the leader When it comes to retail media, uh, their expertise, the speed at which they move, uh, the speed at which they build new products, it was just uh, incredibly impressive. And it was a crucial piece to what we're trying to build that assembly.
0: So then what does this mean for Packview? Is Packview still Packview?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we are definitely going to remain. Really, nothing changes. We're just going to do more. Um, We're going to remain packview We're going to remain under the leadership of myself and Xiao Wei. Um, It's just that we've really found the the right strategic partner to help us scale and continue to accelerate with our vision around execution and innovation. And with Assembly, we're going to have the, the support and resources that we really need to grow. So super excited about it.
0: You know, in my opinion, PacView has been on a tear, Melissa. Every time I turn around, you've launched a new product or platform. So what can we expect from Packview in the future?
3: Yeah, I mean, definitely we're just going to be able to do, do more. We're going to continue to launch more products, more marketplaces, and we're going to do all of those things super fast, which is really what our clients and our retailer partners love about us. Um, we just announced a couple of new products. As you mentioned, we were at Adweek last week. Um, we announced Packview Commerce a couple of weeks ago which is our new product that now focuses on automating the operational side of marketplace management with inventory forecasting and purchase order management, automated ticketing and more. We also announced our integration with the Amazon Marketing Cloud, um, one of the first to do so. And so we're gonna keep innovating in these areas. We're gonna launch more marketplaces like TikTok and then some other ones that I can't mention yet but you know, it's just a really exciting time for us to be able to open up globally and to continue to innovate with these great products and, and retailer p- platforms.
4: Yeah, I mean, this is why I'm so excited about Packview and it being part of the assembly. It's because, you know, Melissa and Jaway and the team they built at Packview, it's, it's a culture of constant innovation. You know, they're the first ones to build on all these platforms and it's really powerful. You know, when we look at, when we look at the future of e-commerce, we think about how brands and sellers are going to grow and win online. It's going to take a unified view of their business, a holistic platform to manage kind of every step of the journey. And then you got to marry that with the community uh, of continuous education, because I think Peter, as you know, nothing is constant in e-commerce, and you gotta you you need help to manage the constant change. And so uh, we're exploring a bunch of new solutions we can build together with Packview in the Fold and there's sort of unlimited opportunity, which we're really excited about.
0: This all sounds really remarkable. So where does our audience go to find out more?
3: Yeah, so please follow us. Go to packview.com. You can check out our blog and um, stay stay in the loop on everything that we're up to. You can also follow either Assembly or Packview or myself um, on LinkedIn.
0: Thank you. And now on to this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopan and Peter V.S. Bond explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter.
1: Hello, folks, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys. I'm Sri, one of the aforementioned CPG Guys. My co-host, of course, is Mr. Bond, or PBSB, also the VP of Partner Strategy and Development, Fetch Awards, a mobile loyalty platform. He's happy the Dodgers actually clinched the playoff spot a month ago, and unfortunately, they didn't win the World Series, so I'll apologize. But join me in welcoming the other CPG Guy who I lovingly call Mr. 007 himself, Peter V.S. Bond. How are you
0: today, sir? What do you mean didn't win? I'm I'm, I'm celebrating my second World Series trophy in a row right now, Shri. This is good. Uh, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm really excited. You know that we, just like you moved to L.A., we moved to Guilford, Connecticut, and just got Nadia into a nursery school, which means my wife is going to actually be able to sleep sometime during the day. That makes me happy. It makes her happy. Everybody's happy, so I'm in a good mood. How are you doing?
1: Doing good, Peter. This move to California wasn't easy up front, but of course, we've settled in now. Things are starting to get streamlined and life's moving forward as it should be positively. I'm happy that the big nursery moment has shown up in your life because I know you guys are waiting for that moment forever. And here it is. So thank you, Peter. And before we get to our guest, I want to remind our audience, all our content, that's a whopping 130 episodes plus, is available on 40 plus podcasting.com. Platforms and so much more about what we talk about can be found easily by going to cpgguys.com. And the best part, Peter, it's all free. Can you believe we're like 130 episodes plus? Like this podcast started May of last year, where this has been around 16 months, 130 plus episodes.
0: We're like a crotchety old married couple at this point, Shri. I mean, we're staying. We keep joking about the fact that we're staying together for the kids, but you know, I love you, man.
1: We've got to make sure Peter that the divorce isn't imminent. No. That's what they say. No. We're, we'll go we'll statements. go to we'll go
0: to couples therapy if we need it. But I don't think we need it right now. Perfect. We're doing
1: okay, Shri. Perfect. Those pizzas up in New Haven may be the couples therapy. I think
0: you're going to need to come back out east and do another pizza episode with me. We got to we got to get some there we of go. The New Haven pies, yeah.
1: There we go, folks. If you aren't following us on LinkedIn, just enter the CPG guys, the word CPG guys in the blue search box up top left, and when you get to a page, simply click follow, which is the blue plus button. That way you'll get to see all of the content we are producing. And as I already mentioned, there is, this is not a paid platform, so you can just log in, simply get access to all our content. And as we have mentioned before, we continue to have a partnership with New, the Network of Executive Women, and Sara Alter, Chair of Network of Executive Women, will be on our podcast soon. October was Women's Month here at the CPG Guys, For every episode you download and listen to, we donated one dollar to the Susan G. Komen Fund. But you know what's the one thing you can continue to do further as we take up other charitable causes? Keep those downloads coming because that'll be the mechanism Peter and I and the CPG guys can engage in true philanthropy where it matters and counts. On the show today is a personal friend since I've known since my PepsiCo days, a fellow brand and retail maverick. And I remember our times together going to his wedding, but one magical moment together we'll probably never forget and talk about the rest of their life and it has to do with the flying saucer he will decompose what the flying saucer means but i remember being at his multicultural wedding as i mentioned join me in welcoming a dear friend and ally in the transformation of the industry ashwin Nathan, vp of advertising and marketing for heb welcome
2: Shree, thank you for having me. Peter, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I was uh I've been wondering, Shree, when you were going to ask me to join. Uh but I'm uh super excited to be here. Um I'm a huge fan of what you guys have done and you know, if if possible, you guys have actually made this uh industry somewhat fun to be a part of with your podcast. You've made it sexy. So, uh glad to be part of this journey with you guys.
1: Thank you Ashwin and you know I promised the audience you will decompose what the flying saucer is yeah. so go for it.
2: you know uh, Shri and I do go way back um, you know from uh, hanging out and exploring multiple bars in, uh, in the Plano and Frisco areas of Dallas and um, and Addison so the the flying saucer oh boy uh, I'll have to figure out how much I could actually share. So maybe seven, eight years ago, maybe eight years ago, Shree, um, when, um, I think e-commerce was still like, you know, what the hell was e-commerce and CPG, uh, moment, or particularly in food, to be clear, uh, the other categories have moved online by that point. Um, you know, Shri and I, uh, were present, we we're at PepsiCo at that time. We were, uh, presenting to, uh, you know, Indra Nui, our chairman and CEO of PepsiCo at that time. And, um, it was, uh, I would say it was successful. I um, mean, we both still had our jobs the next day and, uh, <laughs> uh, subsequently, uh, got bigger jobs. But, um, I, I think, you know, going into the meeting, it was just, what the hell are we talking about? Like, she's not going to get any of this to, uh, you know, there was, um, a huge buy-in and, um, um, uh, general, uh, consensus that, uh, we knew a little bit more about what we were talking about than we were letting on. So, Shree and I literally walked across the street right after the meeting to one of the best bars in Dallas. I don't know if it's still there in Addison, uh, called the Flying Saucer, and um, um, I will just say that we uh, celebrated um, pretty well. Um, so the the flying and this was I don't know eight years ago. So um, so yeah, the Flying Saucer will always have a, um, a special place.
1: It changed both our career trajectories, for sure, and we remember it pretty fondly. And Ashwin, before we get to the questions, are we prepared for this conversation. Would you let our audience know where on the web they can learn more about HEBU and a brief introduction to what your role is within HEB?
2: Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, you know what? I'll, I'll do a quick intro of what HEB is since I'm, I'm guessing that most people might not have heard of it, um, given that we are in Texas. So, uh, so you can find more about us on heb.com. Um, and so Heb is a, a privately owned omni-channel retail company in Texas. Uh, we were founded by Florence Butt in 1905 uh, in Kerrville. Uh, so if you know Texas, you know that's uh, Kerrville is sort of the heart of the Texas little Country. Uh, so today, we do about 31 billion in sales and operate uh, about 400 stores in uh, in Texas and parts of northern Mexico. Uh, we have about 135,000 fellow partners, we call our employees partners. So we are the largest private employer in the state of Texas. Um, uh, Primarily from a grocery standpoint known for our fresh food, our distinctive items, uh, meal solutions and all the different convenience options that's out there. But more importantly, I would say that um, what we're known more than anything else for is uh, our commitment to Texas. Uh, We are a Texas based company, Uh, we live Uh, and serve 300 communities across Texas. Our job every day is to make the lives of Texans better. And the way you do that is uh, on the side by selling groceries. Uh, So I would say, um, you know, we're known more for taking care of Texas uh, than anything else. Um, uh, But we do all these other things well. Um, And my job um, at HEB um, is to lead our uh, marketing and advertising departments. Um, Everything from above the line and below the line to targeted marketing to um, other marketing, other services that we and products that we come up with. Um, so, um, uh, one of the best jobs I've uh, ever had.
1: Thank you for that, Ashwin. And as I mentioned, it'll be in the digital liner notes of this podcast episode, folks. So, you know, let's jump right into the word transformation, right? So, you and I, eight years ago, were talking this thing called e commerce, digital. We come from classic retail, brick and mortar, we're evolving. And so eight years later, some days, this is it. Like the re- retail has transformed. It could be stock-wide transformed in supply chain. It could be digital. It could be the omni-channel consumer. But transformation is where the action is today. Decompose that for us. And how have you personally embraced it over the years?
2: Yeah. No, you know what? As you mentioned, um, the word transformation is in you. And particularly in retail, right? Retail has been transforming for a long time. So whether it was uh, Walmart Supercenter way back in the uh, 80s or the dollar stores or eBay in the 90s to Amazon's marketplace in the early 2000s. And there's plenty of other examples, right? Of um, how uh, retail continues to transform. Um, I think Sri, particularly in the last few years, since even our presentation, I think there's a lot that's happened that we probably could not have imagined and we didn't um, in that presentation that we did. and, and that is the impact of uh, tech and uh, on the pace of uh, change uh, uh, within retail. Um, you know, the, the most obvious example that comes to mind, you know, um, post-COVID is how COVID has helped accelerate, um, you know, curbside and delivery and online shopping, particularly in grocery and food. But I would say it's, it's not just obviously about uh, curbside and delivery, it's, how tech is really affecting um, every part of retail and how you run your company from uh, customer insights and customer engagement. And we'll talk about that with digital marketing to inventory management to make sure there's that uh, you're minimizing out of stocks to merchandising uh, to, you know, fulfillment and supply chain. I think tech um Um, um, you know, has a role everywhere. Um, You know, we are one of the largest uh, manufacturers of food in the state of Texas uh, with our large own brand portfolio. So sensors in these manufacturing plants. So that's another example of how uh, tech is transforming retail. So I think um, the word transformation oftentimes in retail, immediately people go to buy online and and pick up in store, but it really is uh, how's tech affecting how companies are run everything from what i mentioned to even hr and performance and uh and obviously marketing so um you know for for me personally um you know i bet on digital early in my career uh, you know almost 11 12 years ago so this transformation has been fun to be a part of um and uh, you know ultimately i think um um i would also say that you know what going back transformation um, isn't just about tech there's huge things happening with health and wellness in terms of what customers expect. There's huge things in our happening be even when I mean, you think about convenience, you think about curbside and delivery, but it's also convenient meal solutions. So transformation to me is not just tech. Tech is affecting everything that we do, but transformation is how are we keeping up with the changes in customer behavior and how do you, how do you get ahead of it? So by the time it becomes mainstream, you're not you know playing from behind. That's how I think about it.
0: Ashwin, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you. I mentioned before we started recording that two decades ago, I had a young research assistant. She just graduated from Trinity University down your way in Texas. uh, Her name is Michelle Metzger and I'm so glad to know that she's a part of your team down at HEB and and back, back home in Texas for her. So that's terrific. Hey, since the onset of the pandemic, it feels like the word e-commerce is what everybody's talking about, but I don't really think that encompasses everything that is omnichannel. You know, probably I, I'd hazard a guess without having the numbers in front of me. Anywhere from 80 to 90% of your volume is still going through traditional stores. And when we think about it, everybody who walks into a store, well, they're still carrying one of these, and they're using it to, to learn about the products that they're buying. Um, can you... Break down for our audience how you think about omni channel as it pertains to HEB and how you're trying to connect with your shoppers through all the ways they choose to shop with HEB.
2: Yeah, well, first, I'd say that, um, you know, uh, Michelle Metzger is uh, uh, is an incredibly important part of her team. She is uh, a Pretty good at what she does, and I'm sure that she appreciates uh, Peter uh, working with you way back in the day. So, um, so a huge shout out to Michelle for sure. Um, you're right. I think you know, um, omnichannel is obviously more than e-commerce, and oftentimes the way it gets framed, right? It, you know, if you read all the articles that are out there, uh, it's about the future of grocery is uh, online, blah blah blah. It really isn't, right? It's 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 not a store versus an online uh, battle as it's often framed up to be. Um, I think you have to be um, um, great at both uh, to serve your customer. Um, and more importantly, I think um, you have to figure out um, how are you responding to customer trends and behaviors um, in both places and minimizing and eliminating friction uh, for the customer to ultimately continue to shop you. Um, and then um, if you look at it from the customer lens, there's a bunch of things I think you have to do behind the scenes to make sure that uh, you are eliminating that friction. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, we um, serve parts of uh, Texas, Northern Mexico, like I mentioned, um, and because we're geographically concentrated, um, it allows us to go above and beyond and tailoring your stores to support these communities and these customers that live in these communities. Um, if I think about the store specifically, right, um, you know, data and tech is helping us figure out how to assort, how to sort these stores. So every store at HEB is tailored differently down to the community. So even if you have a store half a mile apart, it's likely serving different communities. So the assortment is slightly different. And, and tech is sort of helping us figure that out. Um, you know, as I as I look at it from my job, right. Um, um, I'll give you an example where in Houston, uh, if I think about uh, the various parts of Houston, I probably want a different message in Houston than I want to do in the Heights or other parts of uh, uh, Houston. So your messaging has to be different. Those are all examples of um, what you have to do differently to, uh, to thrive um, you know, in an omnichannel world. And it's not just that, right? Uh, within the store, you got to figure out uh, if I, as I think about friction, one of the biggest check po- uh, friction points is checking out. Um, yes, Amazon has taken a completely different approach. Uh, not yet proven in a large uh, uh, store which has a hundred thousand square feet, but you know we uh, we have some, something similar called HEB Go, uh, where customers can scan with their app and and walk out. Um, and um, you know that is that's not. Uh, uh, um, that's not to eliminate anything, but uh, as a supplement for customers to make the experience a little easier. If you're having one or two items, so you can you don't have to wait in a potential line. Um, so there's a significant part of what you're doing in, um, in the omnichannel world to make the store better. Clearly, on the e-commerce side, there's a bunch of things happening. So the, it starts with okay, how do you uh, help customers discover, browse? Um, and add to your cart or list and check out online. Uh, That's the foundational part, right? And and a lot of people are working on that. I don't know that we're quite where we need to be there to make the shopping experience online just as good as it is in the store, but I think we're making progress uh, collectively as an industry. Um, I think the second thing I'd say is fulfillment, right? So as volume grows in the store, uh, volume grows online, uh, the way uh, most picking is done, it's done in the store today. Um, So that means you have people shopping in the store and then you have our order selectors who are picking uh, um, items for these e-commerce orders online. So, how do you make sure that you use technology to minimize the the um, disturbance that an in-store shopper might feel as you're picking orders? You do that through, like, uh, you know, e-commerce fulfillment centers that are attached to your store. That's that's and that's another way where you're sort of seeing how these worlds are colliding. And the last thing I'd say that's sort of bringing everything together is uh, potentially is uh, Martech. Um, from the personalization onto the site uh, to all the coupons and offer systems to make sure that you're relevant in the types of discounts and promos you're offering uh, to all the digital marketing that we do to make sure that uh, what you're saying is relevant to every single person you're reaching. Um, it all works together. You're not doing it just for e-commerce. You're doing it collectively to make sure that you come across in a more relevant way for your customer, whether they shop online or in-store. So I would say that the it's, it's not an online versus in-store um, uh, frame, as others have uh, potentially said. It's, uh, you have to be
1: great at both uh, to thrive. Thank you for that, Ashwin. You've been a digital maverick now for quite some time in the in- industry, CPG or retail. What unique role does digital play for you in actual customer acquisition?
2: Digital Maverick, that's uh, that's quite an honor uh, coming from the CPG guys themselves. So uh, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, Is there another form of uh, customer acquisition beyond digital? Kidding. Um, uh, I mean, obviously there is. Good point. Good point. Uh, uh, Look, I think, uh, you know, um, COVID, I think, has certainly changed a lot of things in terms of digital adoption. Right. Sri, I know you have uh, relatives in India, as as do I, and um, you know we have family spread apart across um, uh, across the world. And um, you know, before COVID, I would have bet anything that I'm not going to have my elderly relatives, my aunts and uncles, Zoom with us. <laughs> not a chance in the world. Uh, but now we're doing birthday parties on Zoom. My point is that. Um, you know, um, COVID has changed what digital means to people. It's just now uh, a way of life. Um, it was before for younger people and millennials, but I think it is for everyone uh, now. So, in that so in that frame. Um, Clearly, I think the way you acquire customers is different. Um, So if I want to go acquire uh, a future grocery shopper, so someone who does not uh, have um, an income on our own, but is in college or a senior or high school or whatever, right? Uh, Still important because we need to make sure these uh, folks, when they do get to the point where they're making these purchase decisions and shopping for groceries, that you're on the consideration set, but the way you're going to acquire them is not even on Facebook or Instagram. It's likely on TikTok, right? Or Snapchat. Um, but if I think about my, uh, you know, parts of my family and others, uh, it's um, investing heavily in things like Hulu. Um, so, or, um, you know, even uh, YouTube TV now for that matter as people drop their uh, cable subscription. So depending on who you're talking to, um, I would say that a vast majority of acquisition um, As moved online because of what COVID has done to our digital behaviors. Um, but um, uh, to be clear, it's not the only way to acquire customers. There are other channels that are still effective. But what I would say is, for HEB, uh, we even before COVID, we invested quite a bit in digital marketing. Uh, that uh, investment has only um, accelerated and grown even higher um, during. We did not really cut anything during COVID. It would be new that it was important to continue to engage and acquire. And then we continue to accelerate that. So I would say that uh, we talk to our customers and engage our customers differently. Uh, Shree, the other thing I'd add is that it also depends on what your brand is. Uh, I would argue that for HEB, um, our to our fan base, um, they love us just as much as Apple fans love Apple or Jordan fans love uh, sneakers, right? So we, I... It makes my it makes my job very very easy. Part of it is to not screw up I'm screw up this love that I already have, so it makes acquisition a little bit more easier because of the brand that we have built over the last hundred plus years. So, but I would say that the vast majority of our acquisition is on digital now across every age demographic.
0: I would argue that HEB shoppers love HEB as much as say New York Yankees fans love the Yankees, <laughs>
2: <laughs> or Cowboys fans love Cowboys. There, yeah. there you're right. you go. Um, Shri
0: talked about using digital and customer acquisition. I would don't w- don't shake your head at me, Shri. You know I'm just Peter. I on think, you.
2: but but to be clear, it's the it's the Yankees fans with uh, with uh, Jeter and Rivera and uh, and uh, Andy Pettit, not the current Yankees.
0: No, 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 no. I agree with yeah. you. Shree talked with you about how you're leveraging digital for customer acquisition. That's just the beginning of the journey. I'd love to hear from you a couple of examples along the omni-channel path to purchase where you're kind of placing your bets and saying this is where digital can have a tremendous impact in improving the lives of our shoppers and in turn building their loyalty towards our brand.
2: Yeah, uh, lots of, lots of ways I could, um, you know, potentially answer that. Um, you know, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, we, you know, are known for taking care of Texas and our communities, um, you know, every day, um, we get a lot written about us when it, um, when there are serious sort of natural disasters or pandemics and things like that because of, are how we prepare for these events, and in turn, how we um, uh, put the uh, what we prepare for in action to um, uh, help our customers. Um, so a basic example of digital, um, and um, I've seen a lot of folks do that, is if you go back and look at um, Hurricane Harvey, which was a monumental life-changing event here in Texas uh, in 2017. Um, We were one of the first retailers to really take people behind the scenes to tell people what was happening. As people were worried, you know, when's my store going to open? Am I going to get water? Am I going to get power back? I mean, they're just they're going through a lot of things. So what they were seeking uh, was information to make life a little bit better. So if you go back and all this is still on our Facebook pages, right? If you go back and look at what we did, um, we had Craig Bullion, our president, actually take people behind the scenes um, of our emergency operations center. Literally, we are walking you through what we're doing and the decisions we're making in real time. How are we securing water from around the country to ship into Texas? Um, How are we uh, managing our uh, fleet um, to uh, get supplies back? um, you know, into our stores, you know, in Texas, uh, especially for us during these times of disasters, um, uh, we have the the principles that we operate in is uh, we are the last to close and we are the first to open. Uh, but we want we wanted to tell customers exactly where products were, what we were short on, um, you know, when their store is going to be open. So the level of transparency that we provided during these times, and, and during COVID as well, in terms of what was happening um, and what we were doing to prepare, I think helped people um, uh, in in a, in a minor way to understand, hey, what is my store that I rely on for a lot of my life? What is that? Like, what are they doing to help me get through that? That is a, a, an extreme example I get that during, um, uh, you know, natural disasters, but it's a unique use case. Um, Another way I think is what we're doing now with, uh, if I think about um, our cooking shows, right? Um, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is we know more about food uh, than a lot of other retailers uh, that we compete with. Uh, that's our expertise. That's what we do. Um, um, we have chefs from um, around the world that we, they're a part of our team. So every Tuesday we do live cooking shows and it's not just uh, doing a live cooking show as our chefs are teaching you what to make, the product that they bring on the screen, you immediately have something that pops up on the screen that with one click, you can actually add to your cart. You don't have to go search for it later. You don't have to go uh, figure out, okay, what was the product you just said? That is an example of, okay, as you're learning to make, you know, I'm, I'm vegetarian, Shri, I think you're still vegetarian. Um, you know, as we, you know, we had a, a, a vegan cooking class a while ago, right? Um, as we are showcasing these recipes, whether it's uh, our pots and pans or specific food, uh, the fact that you don't have to go search for that later, it just sort of shows up as you're putting these products onto the screen. Another example of how you can add to people's lives in a very easy, frictionless way. Um, you know, a, a couple examples, but, um, and then I would say, um, you know, from a shopping standpoint, uh, making sure that you have the right notifications on what's out of stock, what's not. Um, How do you make sure that, um, you know, you are telling your customers, hey, I'm on my way, your order is ready to pick up? I mean, there are simple things all around the world that uh, give people a few minutes back in their lives, which they appreciate, um, are um, examples of how digital can be used as a, um, you know, I almost don't even want to say tool because it's not um, how you embrace digital to operate your company. Because I think the days of thinking digital is something to assist you in doing something is over. Digital is just a part of how you run your company and how people live their lives. So it needs to be a part of everything that we do, is what I would argue.
0: Before we continue with our episode, a few words about New Network of Executive Women is a growing community of over 14,000 professionals representing nearly 900 organizations across North America. This week, you can attend Let's Talk Bias is Real. Here's what we can do about it on Thursday, October 28th, 2021 from 2 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. Central Time, where you will join an honest conversation about bias and how to combat it to create more inclusive environments inside and outside of the workplace. Visit newonline.org calendar to register. And don't forget to tune in to the Advancing All Women podcast on Voice America, hosted by new president and CEO, Sarah Alter. Listen every Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with rebroadcast weekly, on the Voice America Influencers channel. And download episodes after the air wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, visit newonline.org slash cpgguys to learn more about becoming a member of NEW.
1: Thank you for that, Ashwin. i got a question for you. Is my Apple Watch digital? I'm just kidding. <laughs>
2: well so, the watch itself is it, but you know the the constant distractions of you checking your phone every uh <laughs> 10 seconds that is it's actually not my phone
1: i take notes so i can inter- uh, intersperse it right into the conversation so um, actually here they are bro
2: Shree, you know you you did you did call me a digital maverick look i have a problem being distracted as is. um i have uh, uh avoided getting an apple watch or any type of smartwatch. um precisely because I think that's the other... You know what? That is a downside, I would say, if there's anything, because we are distracted like crazy. I think I read something where the average attention span is like two and a half seconds, down from like eight seconds from like... Even that wasn't high like two years ago. So that is precisely why I don't wear an Apple Watch is uh, I would be too distracted looking at Twitter or messages or whatever. So I'm trying to uh, uh, avoid things that will... Uh, uh, make me just go crazy.
1: So do we have to change it then from digital maverick to something else? Digital something else? <laughs> you, might,
2: you might just have to, yeah.
1: Digital yesterday, that kind of thing. But yeah. hey, jokes apart, right? Jokes apart. That very word, digital. Your yeah. own career journey, right? Where you are today, clearly you're you're leading marketing. A large piece of, piece of that is digital. You're not just a digital leader for HEB. You're leading marketing period. But A lot, a lot of where you and I grew up in the last five, seven years in the industry on the digital side. Why digital leadership, and then even within that ecosystem at HEB, why marketing?
2: It's a great question. I'll go back even five or seven years ago, and and I'm gonna uh, get into trouble doing some stereotypes here, so I'll apologize in advance. But um, so, Sri, you and I uh, both grew up in India for part of our life, and. you know, uh, when you are growing up in India, math and science was, uh, you know, prioritized more than anything else, um, you know, as you're going through school. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to move here to the U.S. Um, in, the, in the mid-90s. And, um, but, you know, all my, all my cousins were uh, computer engineers and computer scientists and, you know, doing coding. So for me, when I went to school uh, at UT, uh, it was, I didn't even think of anything else besides electrical or computer engineering because I was like, I thought that's just what I was supposed to do. I mean, the other side of, uh, you know, typical Indian families, you go be a doctor, but thankfully we didn't have any of those in our family. So it was more on the, um, uh, engineering side. So as I got into that, I actually started my career at Procter and Gamble on the engineering and IT side, uh, you know, writing code and being a part of technology. Um, but you know, there there were two big things that happened for me that was like, hey, I'm in the wrong field. One, um, my my cousin was my roommate uh, at school. He was a computer science major, and um, the way I will describe this is that as I was doing my job in IT and coding, um, the difference between him and I was like the difference between an NBA player and a YMCA player when it comes to getting things done me being the YMCA player. Uh, and I knew uh, pretty early on, I'm like, this is probably not the best way I'm going to make money in the future to support my family. So that was one big revelation. The second one was, hey, at P&G, marketing was a big thing. And it's, you know, like if you want to be in the marketing world, there's no better place to start your career than P&G. And I, had a, I, I saw a lot of my friends having a lot more fun than I was. Uh, and I was like, hey, you know what? I'm in my early 20s. I think I want to go do that and have fun versus what I'm doing. So I think uh, P&G was uh, gracious enough to uh, let me into their uh, marketing organization. So I had a great opportunity to learn. Um, But I'd say that I think the big for me, from a career standpoint, uh, the transformation was uh, betting on digital was, you know, I had a chance to work on big brands, uh, but I, um, I worked on a brand called uh, Braun, uh, you know, for shaving and appliances and, it's it's a big brand in Europe, but it's a small brand here in the U.S. And um, there were two times of the year that made up a vast majority of your sales: Christmas and Father's Day. It was a big gifting item. And as we still do, if you're spending three, four, five hundred dollars on any electronic item, what do you, what is the first thing that you do? You go online and read a review of uh, what you want to buy. So for me. Right. This, so this was true 15 years ago and it's still true. Now where you go do the reviews is different. You might have gone to Google before. Now you go on Amazon, um, to look at reviews, but that's like, so as I looked at that, right, I had made a conscious decision that the way I was going to do marketing for Braun was I was going to be digital first. I was not going to do anything else because I knew that if I won there, I could, as an underdog, I could do something different. So, and then I also looked at, you know, what, my friends and I were doing at that point is we were on Facebook and uh, Twitter all the time, and it just made a ton of sense. So uh, I bet on that early. Um, Thankfully, those guys have done a good enough job and the career-wise it's worked out. And, you know, you know, the PepsiCo story where we had a chance to write a lot of the digital playbooks for PepsiCo very early on, particularly Frito-Lay. So, you know, leading up to that, you know, meeting with uh, Indra at the uh, in Addison and, you know, other, you know, the subsequent things we've done in our careers. So it was a matter of chance, right? One is, uh, I, I sucked as an engineer and two, uh, I was lucky enough to be on a small brand that, uh, happened to play heavily in digital and that opened, um, um, you know, doors that likely wouldn't have opened if I followed a more traditional marketing career.
0: Hey, we've been focused on certainly what Shree loves to talk about with is which is digital, and while I l- like to talk about that, what I love to talk about is loyalty. Uh, I spent Shri knows I spent some time working at both Kroger and CVS in this regard. Uh, Shree, no jokes about the six foot long register receipts. That's that's what he loves to talk about. But in any event,
1: every time I'm at, I'm at a CVS and I check out, I like still like going to the store. And I check something. I I buy a lot of stuff digitally from CVS. By yeah. the way. Yep. But when I go to the store and I check out, I think of Peter. Peter's face, if there was a pop-up that could magically appear, it's Peter's caricature that appears when I get the receipt. He,
0: he says that no matter what I do the rest of my life, the six-foot-long register receipt will be on my tombstone, to which I say only if it's six feet tall, because it's the only way it's going to fit. But in any event, let's talk a little bit about, about loyalty. I certainly know how I think about it, but I'd really like to know from your perspective, how important loyalty is in your day-to-day activities and how you are trying to lead from the front compared to the competition in building meaningful loyalty mechanisms that continually escalate the customer journey.
2: Yeah. So Peter, not surprisingly, uh, you know, Michelle on my team does work on, uh, uh loyalty. Um, so, uh, probably not surprising to you, but, um, you know, I would say loyalty is uh, changing. Um, uh, Here's what I mean, right? Um, One of the biggest impacts of COVID is I think customers are going to go to multiple places, potentially three to four places for the same category to shop. Um, Part of the reason why it started is when when the country, I still don't know why, ran out of toilet paper, right? Right um you would just go to any store that you can even if you have a gas station um to get toilet paper um again like i don't know they should be doing case studies on that like what the hell were we thinking like why you know had nothing to do with COVID. i'm sure yeah, so, i'm sure
0: harvard business school is yeah. cranking them out as we speak
2: exactly um but you know it started with supply chain disruptions during COVID, right um where customers said, you know what? I want to go wherever I can find it. And while that's sort of faded a little bit, um, I don't know that the behavior completely has gone away. So meaning that you're, you might not be shopping four places every week, but you're not shopping the same place that you always did. Um, you're, sh- you're exploring multiple places. Um, so, um, and if, so if you were a retailer who had an official loyalty program, we don't have one, um, and I'll I'll tell you why in a second. Um, If you have an official loyalty program where you swipe your card or do something to get whatever, um, what is the definition of loyalty these days, right? Uh, I don't know what that is. I think it's changing. Um, Now, I think the credit card industries and the airline industries have been ahead of this for a long time. I'd say those are the best loyalty marketers in the world in a way. Uh, the hospitality industry and the credit card industry and they probably look at customer lifetime value and a whole bunch of other things which we haven't quite done in food and retail just yet Um, um i would also argue that prime is probably one of the uh most genius loyalty programs ever designed um so but even i think that is changing because as you saw Lots of benefits are changing. The only thing people really care about uh, care about really is free delivery. So, but this concept of what loyalty is is changing, and I don't know that anyone's really figured out what that is. If I think about for HEB, we, we look at it differently. Um, for us, um, we are not a high low retailer. Uh, we are an everyday low price retailer, meaning that uh, we have typically the lowest prices in market. Uh, in most products, um, in most days. Um, but it's, it's having the lowest prices while offering the best quality, the highest quality and unique items that people can't find anywhere, uh, paying people our partners a lot, uh, more than others do because customer service is a very, very important part of who we are. Right. Um, we also have, yes, coupons and discounts. We have a yellow coupon paper program that no one else in our market does. Um, we uh, So if you collectively look at all of these combined with our commitment to Texas and what we do during te- um, to take care of Texans every day, there you can make a case that that is a very strong loyalty program, though uh, in, in the way we take care of Texas and Texans every day, right? Right. Um, now, there are things that have, you know, uh, that are good programs that are popped up. Walmart Plus, you know, in the e-commerce world is new. Um, I mean, pretty much everyone has a subscription program these days, right? And, you know, if we're looking at things like that, it's uh, not to say that you shouldn't ever evaluate or pilot things. And we have piloted points-based programs as well, to, to be very clear. Um, but collectively, I think as an industry, I think the biggest question, you know, I personally have is what is success when it comes to loyalty? Is it uh making sure that uh no your customer doesn't shop anywhere else is it making sure that your customer meets a certain financial threshold at your company is it um is it that you know they're coming into your store or or your e-commerce or app site three or four times uh, a week or month i think those are all things that are going to depend on where you fall on the retail spectrum so i would say that there's no single answer to having one approach to loyalty I think you have to play to your strengths as a retailer and we certainly are in terms of the markets that we operate i think the worst thing that you could do is copy someone else um for the sake of copying because you're like you have fomo right um again that's not to say that the structure of what you come up with feels similar to what others have because sometimes things are pretty simple um but ultimately i think from a loyalty standpoint what loyalty is, is very uh, personal to every retailer, though I would say that the days of thinking that your customer is no longer shopping anywhere else, I think that's pretty much gone.
1: Speaking of loyalty, one of the ways to earn the consumer's trust is the user experience. Doesn't matter whether it's digital or whether it's in store. The experience has to be fast, seamless, clean, quality is a piece of that experience. How important is user experience to you and what, what are things y'all are doing to uh, and ensure that whether it's digital or in-store, the, the omnichannel user experience is the best the customer can have.
2: Yeah. Um, I would say that user experience is probably the most important thing you could do to, to drive loyalty because you could do all these other things, but if your experience in the store or on the site is just bad, you're not, you know, again, we are all, Shree, Peter, you guys are our customers. We are customers, right? We shop every day in various stores. If an experience, if you have a bad experience, uh, it's highly unlikely that you're going to go back, regardless of what that company does for the community or the uh, or uh, the world, right? So it starts with taking care of your customers. Um In the store, for us, that comes across in multiple ways, right? The user experience, Sri, the way you put it, right? The way we differentiate is through our service. Um, If I think about, I'll give you a few examples, right? We are one of the very few retailers um, um, in in the States that still has trained and certified meat cutters. So if you're having a barbecue, if you're having a party, if you're having a special event, Going and talking to uh, your meat cutter and having a very special thin slice of cut of meat is that's a part of experience. Uh, we have a uh, wine concierge just in the store. We have, um, you know, um, in, in, in a lot of our stores, we have something called a cooking connection. Basically we have chefs that are making things, samples in the store, fresh, uh, creating in-store theater. So imagine trying to sample a new product, right? Would you rather taste it or just look at the package? Yes, you can look at the package; there are attractive packages, but uh, getting someone to taste it is probably a little bit easier. So those are all examples of user experience in the store uh, that we use to differentiate ourselves. And I would say that ultimately, how do you make someone feel warm and welcome in the store uh, is another. It is another one. I'll give you uh, another good one that we all sort of sometimes get frustrated with, right? When you're trying to get in and out of a store, when you're trying to um, have a long day, you're shopping, you want to get through quickly. The worst thing that could happen is you have one register open. You won't see that at our stores, uh, right? So that's an example of making sure that we, our front end is staffed appropriately. That's not to say that we never have lines because we are the highest share retailer in Texas. So we have a lot of traffic. But making sure that you're doing everything possible to take care of that customer and store to eliminate that friction, I think, is, is an example. Uh, online, boy, I think this is where we're still, uh, both as HEB and the industry, we're still pretty far. Um, because I don't think anyone has replicated the great online, ex- the in-store experience online. Shri, I think we, you and I were talking about uh, impulse, uh, man, eight years ago. <laughs> no one's really, really solved that in a way yet for food right? The way that the stores can drive impulse, right? There, you know, there's not to say that there's no progress. There's a bunch of things you could do at checkout. There's a bunch of things you could do on the cart. Uh, there's a lot of things happening, but it's still not the same experience as, man, that's an attractive package. I think I want to try that on the end cap as you're checking out example. Right. But, but beyond that, this concept of, um, I, I think online shopping, um, Food and in other categories is still pretty methodical, right? It's a search driven experience. You shop uh, thousands of products and you add it to your cart. It's more functional and it's more uh, task oriented than experiential, right? Um, which I think from a UX standpoint online, I don't know that anyone's really solved that at scale. Um, which I think is a huge opportunity to figure out what does that look like going forward. Um, uh, I know HEB hasn't solved it. We still have a lot to do to get better at some of the basics. Um, I don't know that others have solved it either. Um, so I would say that that's one where – but some retailers are okay with that, right? If you look at Amazon, um, you know their experience is it's, – it's less of a pleasant experience and more of a, hey, you could find anything in the, in the world here, Right. So their UX is tailored towards uh, finding needles in a haystack versus giving you the warm, fuzzy feel of, oh, my God, it's awesome to, you know, um, be here to shop this. So I think um, so there's uh, plenty to go in terms of bridging what the online experience is um, with with the store. And again, this is also different. Sri, when you when you come over to to Texas, you're going to experience this. Um, you know, I would bet that the first thing you smell when you walk into your insider stores is the um, the butter tortilla that we're very famous for. Um, you know, I would challenge you to walk by that and not try it or <laughs> buy it, right? So, um, so that so those are examples of like those are things that are hard to replicate, but those are part of the user experience that I would call it in the store that you can't really translate online. Um, um, so I think there's still uh, quite a few things that we could do online to make it more fun.
0: As we close out our conversation here today, Ashwin, I want to look a little bit towards the future. I attended Grocery Shop this year, uh, the first live event I've been to in over a year out in Las Vegas. It was very interesting. And, and a lot of retailers were talking about things they're doing and where they're moving. I saw one major retailer announced that they were going to add TikTok-like uh, short video stories to their site. I, I'd kind of like to get a feel from you is what do you see as being kind of the next big thing and what advice do you have for both brands and retailers in terms of investing towards the future? Is it about a couple of big bets? Is it about lots of little bets? What What's kind of your thought about how brands... And retailers should be investing in what is, as you we started this conversation, a very transformational era.
2: Um, I'll talk I'll tell you about my approach first. And this is something I learned um, from um, my boss at the time at PepsiCo Rom. Um, you know, he he had a 70, 20, 10 framework. Like 70% of what you should be working on is things that are tried and true that you know can deliver results. Um, 20% is things that have scale um, that you should keep trying because it's not mainstream yet, but it still has sufficient scale. 10% is just stuff that uh, throw it on the wall, see if it sticks. Uh, it might be something in five years, it might not, but you're building muscle memory Even it does become something bigger, right? So I like that approach a lot and that's something I've, I've adopted in places that I've been. Um, so I won't talk about the 70 because I think most people know what those are. I think in the 20 uh, TikTok is one that um, I, you know we're usually invested in. Um, we are the largest spender of TikTok in the state of Texas uh, because I think the platform is engaging. The platform is uh, fun. I'm on TikTok quite a bit to sort of see what others are doing. More than anything, right? It has a, uh, It's shown that it can um, uh, move sales in the store. Now, sometimes I think the problem is uh, you run out of inventory because there's a mad rush. But I think there's something there with TikTok in terms of how engaging it is that you have to play in. Ashwin, right?
0: can you just tell yeah. that to Shri? Because I've been trying to get him to do TikTok videos with me <laughs> for months, and he's just holding out. And he's got,
2: oh, he's got yeah. two TikTok Absolute stars question.
0: in his house.
2: And he's not helping. Oh, me I out. know he has TikTok stars in his house with his daughters, but I don't know that I want to see him on TikTok, Peter. the
1: question option. There we go, Peter. We got the answer. Should the CPG guys have a TikTok? I think I heard your answer. It's a no.
2: You know, you know, double seven maybe, but I don't know about the about Shree. So I think let his daughters do that one. You um, got it, but- Peter. Um, but, you know, TikTok is one. I think this concept of live live shows and live streaming shows, I think that's another huge trend that I'm a big believer in, um, which we have been investing quite a bit over the last year. You know, the last one, Peter, I'd say is, you know, every year I, I think this is going to be the year, but there's still no killer app, which is AR, um, right? And, again, if you want to look at uh, and can, trends. And can right? you define
0: AR for our audience? Because a lot of them aren't familiar with our, our acronyms. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so AR augmented reality, you know, just go watch Minority Report from 20 years ago. We're still trying to make a lot of those things happen that, you know, the, the thing when Tom Cruise was walking through the mall, right? Like, I mean, that movie was pretty visionary. It actually still is uh, in terms of bringing a lot of those to life, right? Whether it's interfaces or augmented reality, I think Apple's doing it quite a bit there. But it's this concept of, um, you know, you use your phone or your glasses, whatever, to you're not in a virtual world completely where you're fully immersed but it is something that is additive to your real world experience to make something better. Um, But you know, uh, every year I think that's going to be big, but you know, take a global pandemic to make QR codes uh, uh, mainstream, right? So who knows what the AR adoption curve is going to be. Um, But I would say TikTok, uh, live streaming shows, uh, and ultimately, right, I think the last one is just make sure that your experience on your app and your site Those things are good. They're fast. Like the fundamentals, right? Because if you don't, if you mess that up, the rest doesn't really matter. So at least, but I like to back to your point, I like a bunch of small bets until I know that. Yeah, I think there's something here.
1: Thank you for that, Ashwin. For all audience, I want to remind you, you can find all our content, 130 plus episodes of content on cpgguys.com. Join this discussion, shape who comes to the show, what we talk about, easy. Go to linkedin.com. On the top search bar on the top left, simply type CPG guys, hit the blue plus follow button, and you can be part of this conversation just like that. Ashwin, friend, digital maverick, a maverick in the retail industry. How about we drop the word digital? Go forward. And, and, and thank you so much for appearing on the podcast. I hope you had as much fun as us being on the podcast today.
2: I did. No, thank you for having me. It's always fun to go back and... Uh and reminisce on uh those uh young carefree days tree. so uh, but, yeah but hey this journey isn't done there's uh, things change every day so there's a uh, there's a lot to write so thank you guys for what you're doing to educate people on in the space and um you know where we need to be headed so i had a lot of fun being here thank you
1: thank you watchman mr bond week over week a pleasure doing this with you sir you know quite a bit of data and stats i have a Page full of notes from Mr. Ashwin over here to share. We gotta get uh, you one feeder? of those
0: devices where you scribble and it turns it into OCR and converts it all for you, Sri. You gotta, we gotta Are you get saying you I need
1: to be digital Peter?
0: I think you just need to be a little cooler, but that's okay. Um,
1: well, he Sri- said no TikTok. So my cool factor is I'll be crying in sorrow
0: right now. There you go. He
2: he, let, he lets his daughters carry the cool factor for the family. Don't, don't they? Enough, and so. they do it
0: well. They do it very well. Shree, one, it's always good to reconnect with with an alum from the PepsiCo era, because what a great training ground that's been and produced so many great industry leaders. Uh, So honored to be associated with that, as I know you are. Um, I learned a lot today. It's tremendous getting to hear what an iconic retailer in our industry is doing and how They're thinking about investing in customer engagement. I love today's conversation. Thanks, as always, for joining me on this journey.
1: You're so right, Peter. Always fun to talk to someone from retail who truly embodies everything in store, online, and all things in between. That's the mantra of the CPG Guys, folks. It's a wrap for this episode. See you soon on another episode of the CPG Guys.